You're listening to the Bridge. Welcome to the Bridge. We are a show which connects east and west. My name is Jason, and today we have with us a special guest, Paulina. Marion of TikTok's at Life with Five Kids, that's spelled F I V E channel. She has been on the ground in Maui in the aftermath of the tragic Lahaina fire. Before we get directly to the tragedy, uh, we'd like to learn a little bit about more about you. Uh, how close do you uh, live to the uh, disaster area to where the fire actually took place? So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Maui, but there were actually two fires that took place. Well, there were actually a lot of different fires that were going on that same uh, in that same 24-hour period. So I live about 45 minutes from Lahaina, but there was actually a fire that broke out in upcountry, um, Kula area, and that was in my backyard. Wow. Like literally your so, backyard? Yeah, literally. So um, I ended up having to evacuate on the same day that the fires started in Lahaina. And um, and yeah, so the there is uh, upcountry area, uh, which is like on the way to Haleakala. And there was a fire that broke out there. So the winds were really intense. And then a tree had fallen down on some power lines and that's how that fire started. And at my backyard, there's a big gulch and it goes like all the way up to where the fire originated from. And that entire gulch was on fire. And so that was happening at the same time as the Lahaina fire. Wow. Well, I wasn't actually going to ask about what started the fire, but it seems like you said there are many different fires going on over the same period of time. Uh, is it just extremely hot and dry there? No, no. Um, so there was a hurricane coming is what originally happened. And the winds, so the hurricane wasn't not directly on the islands or over the islands, but it was in close enough proximity for us to get the effects of the winds from the hurricane. And they were like 80 mile per hour winds. And so that's, that's what started what was happening all over the island. Mm. So, I mean, it's, it's warm on the island. There's a lot of different microclimates, mm. but in general, you know, we don't, like typically just have fires like that now. Oh, well, I'm from California. We have periodic fires. So you've been providing content uh, with interviews with people who have been affected by this on your TikTok. You're showing the aftermath. You're participating and documenting rescue and aid operations. Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, the main fire, what actually happened? Yeah, so... There's so many different stories and so much different information. But um, so there was a fire that started in Lahaina that was actually reported to be 100% contained. So before the large fire that took place, we had heard that there was a fire in Lahaina, but the firefighters had it contained. It, you know, it was... It wasn't a problem at that time. And then the fire broke out here in Kula and then like all hell broke loose. Then also what I what I heard that actually picked it up was the winds, either a tree hitting a pole or a pole, electrical pole falling down. There was an entire series of events that took place after that that caused it to become worse and worse and worse. And, uh, and then that side of the town was burning and then Kula was burning, and then another fire broke out down on the south side of the island. Yeah, it was like so much of Maui was on fire. I heard that 
I read an article that there are sirens for this kind of thing, but that they did not alert people that there was a fire coming. Um, you said that first there was a fire, and then the public was made aware that that fire was under control. So when the next set of fires began, was there confusion about, oh, I heard the fire was put out, but that in fact they're really... What, is, what caused people not to be able to evacuate uh, before the fire arrived? Yeah, so I guess the fire that was contained in Lahaina, 100% contained, it, it didn't seem like a concern. And the first part of your question, you, I talked about the alarms. So we have alarms for tsunamis that go off on the first or second of every single month. Um, they're testing. Yeah, and none of those went off um, during the fire. You know, like everyone heard there was a fire. I mean, at least I did. Like it was pretty well known what was going on. The kids kids were actually supposed to go back to school on Wednesday. It was the ninth. And then the fire happened on Tuesday. Yeah. So they heard about the fire. Okay, if Lahaina fire is 100% contained, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden it just like happens so fast. Now everyone's saying that there's still a fire in Lahaina and now it's like getting worse and it's getting worse and it's burning all the other things. And that's what, what happened. And then the fire alarms, the alarms, not for the fire, but the tsunamis, they never went off. Um, and then I also found out, again, all of this is just from what I've heard. I can't confirm or deny that any of this is actually what happened, but mm-hmm. the hydrants, and I I understand that I've heard the, <laughs> I heard the source from the fire department, but the hydrants in the town in Lahaina, where the fire was happening, the valves, like the pumps to push the water out of the hydrants failed. So uh, when they were trying to get water from the hydrants to put out the fire, uh, there was nothing. Hmm. And I didn't fly the helicopters because it was so windy and so dangerous. So they didn't fly any of the helicopters over to pour the water on which is what they were able to do like the last couple of days over here up country, how people got out. I mean, yesterday I heard the story that they weren't letting people out. I heard that. Um, and this is from someone who lived in Lahaina chose to be what they call houseless, I guess. So they're not like mm-hmm. homeless, but, um, this, they this gentleman are, named, oh, I saw this gentleman fish on your platform. Yeah. So he was saying how the police officers were not actually letting people leave Lahaina and they were following orders. Like, so there is a road to get into the gateway. Like you follow the main road all the way down into the town And so people were wanting to leave and they had stopped. Now, some people say it was they stopped them because the power lines were down, but that's a very large, like very, very wide highway. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to think like, well, and he said he walked, he didn't have a car. So he was walking away, like very rapidly away from Lahaina and just saw there were no cars. Like they were not letting for 30 minutes. They were not letting anyone out of Lahaina. And I don't know, you know, it's, it's very sad um, to think that it could possibly be this idea that they, they didn't want people to leave or they didn't know 
you know, they're following some sort of orders to keep. I don't understand that. But yeah, I think that um, that was a lot of what happened was people were stuck in their cars. They were stuck in traffic. They couldn't get out. Uh, they had no alarms for leaving uh, the town. And they were just, yeah, they were stuck. They couldn't do anything about it. And it was really sad. Wow. Um, what During this disaster, what steps were being taken that you know of to protect people, to protect families, to protect pets? Like what were, what were some, was that, was that the bulk of the population just trapped there or were there other pockets of people that were making their escapes in other ways? Yeah, I think a lot of people were running. Uh, I did talk with a lady who they had, they did, they were able to get out of town. So there's a couple, several different exits. There's one main road to the town, right? Yeah. Maui really has like only one main highway. And then there's entrances and exits that are the, several of them into Lahaina. Um, so yeah, I did hear that people were able to get out. They were able to escape by car. They were running. Um, they were jumping into other people's cars. Like one lady was in her car trying to escape and then her car caught fire. And then she got out of the car and she was running and was able to get into someone else's car and they were able to get out. Uh, you know, I, I've, I heard that, but a lot of so support to protect. I know like the after, the, when I started to go down there the next day to see if I could find people that were displaced and lost everything and help them. Um, it was just so much, there was so much chaos. There was so much chaos. Everything was unorganized. Nobody knew what to do. It was just like so much chaos. And uh, I think that all of a sudden, like the private school up in Napili, the only school on the West side that survived these fires, they were housing like 600 people that night on Tuesday night. And people with like, they were treating them with burns there was like no medical help, you know, and they were treating them with burns and all kinds of injuries and just like really horrible, horrible, just horrible situations. Um, and so I don't know it's really hard to see where they were trying to help people. Mm. Um, I think that I think that that's what what I'm seeing a lot of here is that the community came together so fast. It almost feels like we were really stepping up as locals here. Like we were really stepping up and uh, providing so much of the support where a lot of the, a lot of the government wasn't, you know? Hmm. It, could it be the rescue um, trucks, fire trucks, police cars were having difficulty accessing the area because there's only one main highway? I mean, there's a fire department and a police department and an emergency all there in Lahaina. Hmm. All there. I just had an interview with someone today who said they lived in Napili, which is like just north of Lahaina. And she said, you know, Tuesday, all the electricity went out. They didn't even. So once the electricity goes out and also the Wi-Fi and the Internet, I mean, Already the internet and Wi-Fi and cell service is not that great here in Maui, but then like it goes out, you have no communication, mm. you know, to any other side of the island and nobody was communicating with them what was going on. And so she was saying there were no fire trucks 
they didn't hear anything, nothing. They didn't hear, there's a fire station right there in Napili by the Napili market. And she lives right behind there. And it was like, no, there was, there was nothing going on. She went to the farmer's market the next day on Wednesday morning, which was the day after the fire. And there were so many people there and she was like, so surprised, but, but there was, you know, people didn't have food. Everything was shut down. There was nowhere to go. Like, so people were there and they'd find out, found out about the fire. People had moved up North from Lahaina and they were just started to hand out food and produce for free because of what was happening, what went on. Hmm. So yeah, it was hard to, I know that, I know that, that they, the next day on Wednesday, so the fire happened on Tuesday, the 8th, and then there are about 600 people I know that went to Maui Prep Academy to stay the night there. And they were trying to, you know, people were just going up north, um, Kahana, like Hanukkawa, um, and they did get buses. That's what I know what they did the next day was they took a bunch of buses and they transported people to the shelters mm. in town. So who set up the shelters? Is this, this provided by FEMA or like local government, uh, state government? Yeah, no, I think um, the, yeah, the local government, I mean, the state government created these shelters um, from what I understand. So there was several of them that came up, maybe three of them. And then they were just starting to, you know, open as many shelters as possible for all the people. Um, so that's what happened on Wednesday. You know, there was like the war Memorial center had a shelter over there. And then, you know, the, there was a cathedral there that had a shelter and, um, yeah, there was a several different places that had the shelter to try and move all these people that had been displaced over to the area where they could get care. And then the medical situation was like, crazy hmm. because they weren't going to the hospital they were moving them to the shelters and then they were trying to get like a triage unit into hmm. the shelter to care for the people that had been you hmm. know that had been injured in this a lot of people have lost their homes how, is it in the hundreds or is, would you say it's in the thousands how many people are actually displaced from their own home um from what i understand it's about four thousand residents that have been displaced. Mm. You know, right now they're only claiming that there's been a hundred deaths, mm. but I can tell you what's actually happening. Please do. Um, so when I was there on the ground on Thursday, I found out that there was a county meeting that took place and I found, and it was like a private county meeting for all the like authorities and stuff. And, found out that they had been like pulling bodies from the scene and just like stacking them behind the Safeway in Lahaina and also at the Civic Center. And like the county had no idea what was going on. It was like the search and rescue was out there trying to get all the dead bodies. And yet they didn't know, like it was just so many and they're so overwhelming that they were literally just stacking them behind Safeway and behind the Civic Center. So we're talking about thousands of people dead 
I don't hundred. I mean, I think they're trying to take as long as they possibly can to give the correct numbers. But, um, you know, this, it's not, it's not hundreds. There's no way there are people in cars that couldn't make it out that died. A lot of children, a lot of children. Um, I also found out they were, they ordered like 2000 body bags from big Island and 4,000 from Oahu. Um, you know, so I'm uh, imagining there are a lot of people looking for their loved ones at this time. Have you encountered these people and how are uh, they being taken care of? So the videos that I posted on my TikTok account went viral. And actually, before I started posting a couple, when I found out what was going on, I am a mom, I have five kids and um, I'm a single mom at that. So like, I feel like very much like I, you know, need to give back in some way. I don't know, maybe that has to do with being single or not, but it's just, just, I feel the the desire to do that. But anyways, when I found out what's going on, I, um, we had to evacuate my home. And so we went over to the South side to stay there. And, um, I kind of took, I took the lead in trying to get into Lahaina to get to the people that were not being helped. Cause I know a lot of supplies, I guess we're starting to go over to the West side, but they weren't getting directly to the people that needed the help. Cause you can't really communicate with them at all because they don't, they don't still, they didn't have any service or anything, any way of communicating. And so some people that were missing family members and friends asked me if I can go find them or check on them because they knew that I was making the trips over to the West side. So I said, yes, of course. Cause I'm like, yeah, I mean, I think I could find anybody. And, um, and sure enough, that's, that's kind of how it started. And I recorded that and that's what I posted. And I was showing how like people asked me to find them and I went to go find them and I was successful in finding these people and so um, a lot of people have reached out to me on TikTok since those videos, asking me to find their loved ones. Actually, I even posted about like a car that was like in perfect condition in the midst of the fire that everything was burned down. And there's like a car. I don't know if you saw that video, but mm-hmm. someone was like, Can you go find my motorcycle. <laughs> like, OK, that's not what I'm doing. You know, I don't want to do that. But um, yeah, I think. And then the other thing that we were doing, this was interesting too. So the Maui Prep Academy, they were able, we were delivering supplies over there as well, because once people that were in that area heard that they had supplies, they were able to go and pick up supplies certain times during the day. And so what they did was they had everybody that came through that school, put their name down like a roster to see Mm. who had come through there Mm. uh, to then double check and see if it was anybody that was missing or friends or family, you know? Mm. So I think at right now it's just so challenging, you know, there is a fire. So a lot of there were ashes, you know, there's ashes everywhere. It's not, it's not all the dead bodies that are still able to be identified, unfortunately, you know? So I think it's going to be maybe a lot longer to really understand like who is no longer with us. The depth, you know? the depth of the magnitude of the loss. So I have so many questions. Um, 
For people who are staying in shelters, they've lost their homes. So how long are they going to be able to stay in the shelters that the government has provided? So Maui, I just, um, just recently, I think it was just yesterday, Maui is going to be, there is like about a thousand residential homes that they're going, that are going to be available for the displaced families. Um, and they're going to be paying, from what I understand, about nine months of rent for these families. Um, I think they said 36 weeks. And then also there, the hotels have opened as well. So it's really interesting because now there's you can't really access the west side unless you have like a plaque like they give out the cards or you have an address in lahaina on your license um so there's a ton of hotels right up towards the north of lahaina Mm -hmm. it's like all tourism over there so they opened up the hotels for displaced residents but from what i understand it's mostly people who worked at the hotels that's the first thing that I'm understanding. And then the other thing, too, is um, a lot of Airbnb properties are offering their homes for displaced residents. Um, I'm certain the shelters are probably going to be open until they find, you know, homes for all the residents. There's still a lot of people there. There's a lot of children there. I know a lot of the homes that are going to be available or not like i was talking with someone today they said not for another 30 days right so if they're they're displaced and they don't have a home they have to wait 30 days they're going to be still staying at the shelter you know do you and based on the people that you've spoken with i'm, I'm sure this has come up a little bit do people seem to have insurance or is the state going to provide assistance with rebuilding how are people going to get back onto their own into their own homes you mean like into their homes that some of the homes that are still standing or you mean that you're talking about the land Rebuilt now because re- rebuilding is that is that going to yeah. be possible for the community or mo- do most people seem like that they have fire insurance is this something common in hawaii uh definitely not in that nate i think a lot of you know a lot of locals don't have that no but i think what's going to happen and we're seeing it now a lot of people are being offered property, you know, to to buy to for their property to be bought, right? Because like it's a very vulnerable state for a lot of people, right? They're not in any situation. It's not like these. A lot of these people are not like, you know, have a year worth of savings for all their expenses saved up. There's no way that's happening. They're most definitely probably living paycheck to paycheck. And all of a sudden you have a disaster like this, like they're very desperate at this moment, right? Mm. I think they're going to really try and um, buy out a lot of these properties and rebuild. Um, And I think a lot of locals are very upset about that, Mm. really, really upset about that. I don't see FEMA and Red Cross giving, they're getting donations. I don't see them putting any money right now into anything that's, that's going on to help the locals or help the individual people. Um, I mean, I know there was a couple of distributions set up in Lahaina centers and that happened on Friday. 
And so they are distributing food from there. But still, yeah, it's sad because there's a very vulnerable position. They're desperate. They've lost their jobs. The businesses have burned down. They've lost their home or their family or their children. Mm. And, you know, it's hard for them to say no. If someone, if another government, you know, if the government comes in or whatever other organization is coming in to, or corporation, I should say, is coming in to purchase the land to rebuild. So I don't, I don't see it as we're here to help you rebuild your home. There's, that's not what's happening. There's a lot of lawyers that are coming out of the woodworks, like we're going to protect you. And, you know, if you need help, if you were a victim to the to wildfire and you don't have a home, like now because it's been burned down, we want to protect you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of, lot of angry, lot of very unsettled, hurt, angry. I think anger is just, you know, a surface emotion, but the pain and their feeling of being taken advantage of being, yeah, that's I see what's happening. You mentioned uh, yeah. triage units are moving into the shelters. Um, and I'm wondering a little bit about, so the hospital is overwhelmed. Are there more than one hospital helping people who have been injured or even severely injured in critical condition from the fire? Is there Are there enough medical services for the people who need that sort of uh, attention right now? You know, the there's one only Kaiser here in Maui, and there's only one hospital in town. There's smaller medical centers, smaller ones, um, and Kaiser has just one emergency unit, and they have another office. But um, yeah, I think they're overwhelmed. I think that a really huge problem is there are a lot of people that maybe don't have or can't access their medication. So one guy that I met. We went to go look for this lady, Robin, and we ended up going, finding her house. And then she wasn't home at that moment, but we went back to talk to some of the neighbors. And he said the one of the guys said that he has medication and now like he can't get it anywhere on the West side. And now he's got to drive all the way to town to go pick up his medication and then he may or may not be able to get back into town, you know, because that's been such a big headache. And the guy's like 80, you know. Mm. So I think I think that that's a huge problem, too. I know Aloha Care. There's a company called Aloha Care that was I was there. They gave me some medical supplies to hand out to the people mm. that I was meeting that needed that help. Um, but, yeah, that's definitely a huge problem. And I don't think they did want to do the triage unit because there were so many people that, I mean, it's not even just medication and injuries from the fire and burns. We're now talking like mental health, Uh right? uh People, I can't even tell you, like I, I didn't even, I had a fire in my backyard. I had to evacuate and we had to do it a couple of times being here. You know, I still jump when I like smell something burning or if I hear the helicopters because they've been in and out of my backyard last week, right? I can't even imagine, you know, people who have had to jump into the water from the fire, people who, you know, have family that died, people who saw, witnessed the fire, people who, you know, all of the trauma that has taken place 
there's no way Maui is ready to deal with the health issues that are coming from this, the mental health issues. Um, so given that it's unlikely that there's, you know, a, a giant cadre of psychiatrists coming, how is the community helping one another given the Im- the incredible loss that people are experiencing, having lost family members. Yeah, I can tell you, Jason, this is one thing that I've been so amazed with is just the outreach. So like when I stepped in on Wednesday to like try and gather friends with trucks just to see if we can start formulating ways to get supplies to people that don't have anything, I could not believe the amount of people that came to help. I was just like astonished. And then once people found out I was the lead, I was kind of leading the whole operation. They were just like, all of a sudden we had a group of hundreds of people that were going to help. And a lot of those people were healers. You know, a lot of people come to Maui to heal. You know, they come to Maui to deal with serious life, terminal, you know, illnesses, they come to Maui to deal. I I moved to Maui after my divorce. Right. So like, you know, they come to Maui to deal with all this trauma and pain. It's supposed to be an Island that you become less stressed, you know? And so, yeah, I I saw a lot of the community members who were healers, massage therapists, um, you know, somatic healers, they did EMDR work. uh, They did emotionally focused therapy, um, all, a lot of that, a lot of people there, there's actually a whole group, um, that is going to set up in the different areas to see how we can help. And actually I'm going to be holding a trauma recovery sessions. Um, cause that's what I do, uh, in my life here, uh, aside from loving to help people like for work and stuff. And I think that's so important Mm. is that, you know, we really have to focus. Like it's stressful to see how they're wanting to get kids back to school and all the schools that burn down, where are those kids going? And, you know, like, you know, how are we working with processing the trauma? How are we working with dealing with it, with regulating their emotions, with helping create space for their fear? You know, have you spoken with anyone where the, their story stood out that you would, could share with us? Yes. Um, I'm going through all of them, but there was one in particular. So the first day I went down to Lahaina that it was me and I decided to take my oldest son with me and two friends that came with us to, um, to deliver some things. And, we didn't have, so once you enter Lahaina, now it's a bit different. It's not as difficult to communicate, but the phone signals get lost. So if you don't follow the person you're supposed to follow to where you're supposed to deliver the stuff, you just kind of like, okay, you're just going to wing it and go neighborhood by neighborhood. But we pulled into the civic center and right behind the civic center is the police department. And so I was talking to the police officer there and we said like, oh, could we like, hey, can you tell us? Do you have any idea where did most of the residents go to? Like, where did they flee? Where are they staying? Where are they sleeping? Like, we just want to go to the different locations and be able to send, provide what they need, food and water. And the police officer was like, oh, can you just wait one second, um, pull over to the side and I'm going to radio it and see where we can send you. I mean, they didn't even know. 
They had no idea where people were going, where they were, where the residents were fleeing. It was just like such a disaster. And so we pulled over to the side and we're sitting in the truck and we have our windows rolled down and up comes this guy in a green van. And he, it was like a clean, it said cleaners on the side of the van. And he had another boy in the car with him sitting in the passenger side with glasses. And he probably looked, I don't know, maybe 14 or so, maybe a little older. And, um, you know, he had his, they had the windows rolled down and I was like, we were looking at them and the police officer was just kind of standing right next to my, the truck and the car pulled up and the boy says like, Oh, I don't know what's going on. I'm losing it. Like I'm losing my mind. You know, I, I don't know what to do. I'm losing. He starts crying I'm losing it. And the police officer tells him to pull over right in front of the truck. And then the two the looked like the dad got out of the car and the son got out of the car. And so I told my son and my friends, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out of the car. I'm going to give them some water or food. Like maybe we can help them somehow. Cause he's like the police officer had just told him to pull over. And so I went over there and I put my arm around the guy and he speaks Spanish. I also speak Spanish. And, um, you know, the son said to me, like, I don't know what's happening. I mean, my brother, he's dead and we have him in the van. He's in the van. And the dad just like couldn't even speak. He was just crying. He said to me in Spanish, my son is dead He's in the van. We found him in the in the house. He's in the van. My son is dead. Everybody's dead. Um, you know, he's crying hysterically. And I just held him. And he was sobbing. And his brother just like, I mean, his son uh, just said, my brother's dead. My brother is dead. And he, I asked him, like, do you want some water? Do you want some food? I mean, you know, how do you eat in a situation like that? But we gave him some food and water. And, uh, and yeah, the police, they had, I guess, called some dispatch to come to his car. And then we gave him some food and water. And we, uh, and they drove him to the back to the police department. That's horrible. Yeah, that is very um, terrible. Um, and what 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 do people need? I mean, in what ways can our listeners, people listening to this program, help and support uh, the community there? What do wh- who can they reach out to? What are their phone numbers? Are there websites? What can people do? I mean, you know, I'm um, of course prayer is always so powerful. Um, donations are always welcome. You can donate to Maui fund is one organization. Um, the, another one is hungry Hawaii heroes. Uh-huh. They take donations. I know a lot of people have been asking me to send supplies over. And at this point, so like, actually all the stores are like empty. <laughs> They've moved all, all this stuff over to the West side. Um, so no one's really accepting any clothes either or shoes, but 
if you have any monetary donations, of course, that's always supportive. Uh, it's challenging right now too, because they're just, now it's just more long-term, you know, they've helped as much as they can. We've all the residents are, have food or we've found have water, have shelter. And yeah, it's just long-term now is going to be, is going to be a very big challenge, very big, long road ahead. So monetary donations are always, always really helpful. And I always strongly recommend you donate to a local charity organization as opposed to Red Cross or FEMA. Because uh, I can tell you the amount of community support, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And it's incredible. The support with the community and what they're doing to help people is nothing compared to what the government or the larger organizations have any uh, any help doing. Um, what, what do you think is coming in the next few days, the next week or two? What is next for the community as people begin to deal with the aftermath? Yeah, I think that um, what we're going to see a lot of is a lot of the mental health support. Um, we're going to see a lot of just I've heard friends are moving out just to give their homes up and they're either moving to the mainland or somewhere else to another island. Um, yeah, we're going to probably there's a lot of displaced families with children that had schools that burned down. So I think that's going to be a priority. Um, definitely since school has just started. So trying to find places for these kids to go to school, um, you know, and I think that's what's going to be coming and lots of mental health, lots of mental support, trauma, um, healing, and, and then comes the plans to, to rebuild the community, you know? So the entire energy, Jason, I can tell you, like the entire energy of the Island is so sad. Mm. It's so sad. It's, depressing it's i feel guilty smiling even like i have kids i want to like kind of get back as much as we can to normalization and like routine and things like that but it's like that's all we think about we think about the people that need our help and you know what could we be doing to make it better for them and you know how can we support this community and it's yeah it's just so sad so i think that's what's going to be coming is more of of maybe a more long-term and stuff and taking care of the children and the mental health um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the rest of the global community. Um, these kinds of accidents or disasters seem to be more frequent. If you could say that your community learned something from what took place, uh, and the, that could be shared for other communities in case something might happen there, what would you say that uh, Lahaina has learned? Definitely have your gas tank full. That was a problem that was coming up a lot where people didn't have enough gas so to leave have where supplies. they couldn't drill. Yeah, emergency kits are really good to have. Flashlights are needed a lot. Sleeping bags, tents, you know, a lot of emergency supplies that were unavailable. Also checking things that maybe if a fire hydrant's pump failed, mm. like what is mm. the city doing you know, where it's not checking. What is the county doing where it's mm -hmm. not like checking up on these it basic should be things? Where that that's... there's a water pressure problem in the fire suppressants. That's, yeah. that's that's 
very I, I, I think I'm guessing there might be legal uh, consequences for letting that happen. Um, uh-huh. How what, what about you personally, you and your uh, your boys? Is it is it five boys or you have girls too? I have two girls and three boys. What's next for you and your family in uh, coming out of this? Um, you know, it's so interesting. I was thinking about when we evacuated, we were told to take everything we wanted, right? What was important to us. And then like after an experience like that, and then we had to evacuate again, it was like, well, what was actually really important and seeing all the things that were not important. And um, it was a really interesting conversation to have with my kids, Mm. you know, like, but did you look at your life? You know, we could have lost everything in our home. What did you take that was important to you? What did you want that maybe you forgot to take? What does that mean to you? And I think in understanding the simplicity that life really is because, you know, Material things mean nothing when you're no longer here. So, so I think for us, it's, you know, we're definitely probably going to be doing a lot of therapy work Mm. as well. And um, I want to get the kids into the shelters and with the other children. I think that's also really good as my children are super positive um, and like to help as well. So I see us doing a lot of community work with the kids that have had trauma or been displaced or, you know, don't have parents or whatever the situation is. Um, And yeah, I see that. And then at first I was so panicked. I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's just not a good idea to to be here. You know, like if our house burns down, that could mean like a whole different, (laughs) different living situation. But I, we love it here. We love Maui. Mm. Uh, what about the larger uh, community in Maui? Uh, are you you definitely are you know spearheading helping? And you said hundreds of people in the local community yeah. have been engaged in support. Support grocery stores are empty okay. of food because yeah. it's being shipped into the disaster area. So would you say that the the Maui overall? has come together to support uh, Lahaina. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. The community, not just hundreds, hundreds were just there ready to help me, Mm. but thousands and thousands of people here, the schools, um, every, everywhere we turned, there were truckloads of supplies Mm. being sent over people wanting to go and help. I, yeah, I've never seen anything like it. The entire island was like, hands down, we're ready to support you in anything that you need. And every, even up here in Kula, when we came back, like we can't use any of the water right now. It's all contaminated. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, people came and delivered water for us, cases of water bottles, the five gallon water bottles. Um, there's so much support and everybody wants to help. And the, we kind of got into this situation where it was like, they're ready to go. They're ready to, you know, support. But then we got stuck with like, there's so many people that want to be hands on and working with the victims or working to support, but we didn't really know how to put everyone to use because that's, that's kind of beautiful in a way. Yeah. Oh, it was incredible. I was like, I made so many friends, you know, everybody was like, Polina, Polina. I'm like, 
this is so amazing. You don't even know each other. And yet everyone literally dropped everything and then gave everything. Mm. Right. So it was like, not only did they drop their everything to be there. I mean, one guy in particular too, he was like, you know, I don't have money and I'm out of a job, but I'm here to help. And he drove. That's funny because he didn't have a he didn't have a license. I didn't even know. But he was he was like, I'm here to help. And he got in the car and was driving supplies. And I was like, this is amazing. And he's called me several times, like, okay, Polina, I'm ready. I'm ready. A lot of people ready to assist. Well, for yeah. people who want to follow your story more, where can they find you? You would TikTok and it's called at Life with Five Kids. Are yes. You- <laughs> Yeah, I'm on TikTok and Instagram. We have a YouTube channel and uh, and Facebook. And um, yeah, you can follow Life with Five Kids. And it's all spelled out, so F-I-V-E. And I am just going to continue to post stories. I have interviews. And it's interesting. I see a lot of stories unfolding Mm -hmm. um, as more videos come to surface. Some videos from the water where people jumped into the water. Um, Some people in the town where everything was burning. Uh, so, and yeah, I'm just about to post an update, but I think it's important to, you know, just know what's actually happening, mm-hmm. what is actually happening and what we're hearing mm-hmm. and how we're hearing it. And I had called my parents, like, do you guys hear what's going on? Like, is there news <laughs> reporting on any of this? They weren't letting any news reporters over to the West side mm. for good five days, five days, Be- even after the fire yeah. had been put out. No. So journalists were not allowed to go into the d- disaster area. No, I don't know. You know, I'm sure maybe some few got snuck in, but I can tear it, tell you. Is that they were very? They don't. Is that because they're being sensitive? For example, they don't want to show uh, dead bodies so that it embarrasses a family or something like that. Is there a reason? What is the reason that no one is allowed to go in there? I think that, oh, well, Maui thrives on tourism, mm. right? And so I think that a huge concern, definitely not wanting to see dead bodies. That was a really big deal. But I think a huge part of it was, you know, they were scared. I think that the fear of losing and affecting the economy here mm. on the islands overall. And unfortunately... And also how they handled it. I think that was very embarrassing. I I would be embarrassed. I was going to ask you, um, since we have a little bit more time, um, when you say there were no fire trucks that could be heard during the fire, is it possible, because you mentioned there were other fires elsewhere, that the fire trucks had been drawn off to a different event right when it started in Lahaina? Yeah, so that's also what I heard was that because the fire was contained in Lahaina, they sent the fire trucks over to the other side of the island Mm. uh, to upcountry because that was a pretty intense fire. And uh, actually, there's two battalions that live in this exact neighborhood um, that was saved from the fire. So yeah, a lot of things to question. Um, also, the Kihei fire was, which was on the south side. They couldn't send any fire to, you know, fire engines over there at all. What? Why is that? Because um, everybody was either in Lahaina or in Kula fighting the fire. Mm. 
So the capacity here is, you know, you can only, they didn't have, so what they ended up doing was I was actually staying on the south side in Maui Meadows and they were telling us that we had to evacuate. So I had evacuated from my home in Kula, gone down to the south side, and then we got a notification that night to evacuate. And it was like, the fire was still far. You know, I had, uh, I had a friend there, I'd had a drone and we were standing by the drone and we were watching where the fire was coming down the south side. And it was pretty far from us, but they wanted us to evacuate because there was no firemen fighting that fire. Hmm. I'm still, so I'm still wondering about fish story. Like, I don't understand why those drivers were meant to stay there for some reason. I guess it, you mentioned it might be power lines. It's, it sounds like there was so much going on at the same time, and that might be why rescue operations, I'm guessing, maybe why rescue operations were not uh, as robust as they could have been. Almost like a series of tragedies that created a very large tragedy. Would you say that's accurate? I mean, from what I've heard, you know, I think it's, I mean, I can tell you, Jason, that it's sick to my stomach. Like, I feel sick to my stomach to think that this was some sort of plan, you know, and that uh, that they wouldn't let the residents leave makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. If they're trying to save residents and a police officer is standing there and they're watching the fire, how can you hold people? I don't even care if I was given orders. And I was a police officer standing at the top of that road. I would have been like, go, 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 right? Like that is hmm. naturally. I, mean, I was naturally. also thinking the fire, the, the police, if they're worried there's some obstruction, could lead. They have their own car. They could potentially just lead oh everyone my God, out. Of course. I, I, right? So it doesn't, it, 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 it is a very, it's a very, yeah, it's very questionable why they kept them it's there. So, yeah. And, and the road is very wide, right? Like, I cannot even, there was no, it wasn't like a two lane highway. It's not a two lane highway, only one lane going that way and one lane going this way. Like it's a wider lane highway. Like there's a lot of, like when I say a lot of space, there's a lot of space. There's a lot of space on the sides to drive. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, first for them to say poles were down or, you know, I went there Wednesday, nothing was down. I don't know. It's not that. There's, there's no way it took, it was that quick for them to even clean up. There was no, I saw poles down, but they were not in the middle of the road mm. blocking people from driving out of the town. So, so I'm, I'm, I think we're coming close to ending uh, our time here. You mentioned Hungry Heroes. Is that what it's called? It's called hung, uh, Hungry Heroes Hawaii. Hungry Heroes Hawaii. And the other one is... Maui Fund. Maui Fund. And you, as far as you understand, there's plenty of local supplies. What people need are financial donations. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of supplies. I mean, uh, none of the distribution centers are taking any clothes at mm, all because mm. there's so much clothes that's been donated. Well, um, uh, I think I, I speak on behalf of our listeners when I say we'll be following you and uh, hoping for a positive outcome, whatever that can be amidst such a, an awful tragedy. Thank you. Thank for you your so time. much. Jason. Thank you. So yeah. Much. Yeah. I appreciate you. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you.